0: There are in world history defining moments, are there? Maybe they're inventions or moments in time where something happens that changes. The world forever the invention of the wheel would be a good example of that none of you would have got here this morning if it wasn't for the invention of the wheel perhaps slightly more up to date would be the invention of the printing press so when that was invented suddenly thoughts and ideas and opinions and art and literature could be distributed to many people very very quickly it changed the worlds, and we still live in that today uh, the other one would be the internet, slightly more modern phenomena. Uh, and we are still working out the implication of those things, even today. Even the internet, we're still working out what that means for us. And we work it out uh, on a large macro scale, but also uh, on a, a small scale. And actually, I think we have no idea what the impact of the internet is. For example, we are trying to work this out in our house. Okay, The impacts of the internet in our house. We have uh, no idea really the effects that having the internet in your pocket on a phone uh, what it has on you over years, especially when you give that to uh, children and then they have it through their developmental teenage years into the 20s. We have no idea. I got my first mobile when I was 22 and it could do nothing apart from phone people. I barely used the thing. That was uh, what it was then. Uh, but it's a very different thing now. So we're trying to work out what, what impact does this have on our children. How much time should someone be on their screen playing some ridiculous game? How long should you look at TikTok before your brain starts to melt? All of these things, totally knuckleheads, but they all come out of the invention of the internet, don't they? Or we try and work out on a much bigger scale. For example, what is the effect of social media on democracy and public debate? We have a sneaky suspicion that perhaps it's not the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. Uh, But we don't know. The cat is out of the bag now. We can't put it back in. Uh, And I think in decades we will understand really what it means. But these seemingly quite small events, somebody working out how to uh, print lots of the same thing repeatedly or realising that a wheel kept moving or that you could uh, send a message from one computer to another, those quite small events actually have huge impacts, uh, world-changing impacts, society-changing impacts. And I want us to talk about one of those events today. And we are about 2,000 years after that event, and I think we are still trying to understand the impact on us. Even we're trying to work it out in our own house, the impact of this event. And we try and work it out in our church, perhaps even in our jobs and our lives as we go about life, What the impact of this is. Also on a global scale, what effect should this have on humanity, this particular event? And the event I want us to think about today is the event of Acts 2, of the Holy Spirit falling on the disciples in Jerusalem. And actually, that one event causes a chain reaction. Even from that, that small group of disciples, 120 of them in a room somewhere, suddenly they find themselves on the street outside, having been scared in a room. They're now on the street, they're preaching. That has an effect on all of Jerusalem, then on the surrounding countrysides, then out into the nation they are in. And then many of them ended up going to Asia, to Africa, into Europe, and then slowly but surely into the rest of the world. And that one event, that one morning in Jerusalem, the effects was felt in generation after generation after generation. And we still live in the effects of that today. And one particular individual, this had a, a pretty profound Impacts on and he wasn't even there that day like us he wasn't there uh, and his name was Paul and he became a follower of Jesus a number of years after this event and he was himself dramatically saved he became a teacher a church planter a writer a man of great influence and perhaps 30 years after that Acts 2 day after that morning at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on them Paul finds himself in jail in Rome most likely, writing letters. Uh, and he w- wrote one particular letter, which we're looking at at the moment, uh, to uh, churches in and around Ephesus, probably to a, a few different churches. And this letter actually is dealing with the implications of that Acts 2 event, of the Holy Spirit falling in, on, the, on the church, on the disciples. And so Paul is trying to process that as he writes this letter, trying to give advice to this uh, group of churches, this church in Ephesus, and and he is applying it to them in their lives. None of them were likely at that Acts 2 event either, same as us. And so we need to process this in a similar way. We need to think uh, in the same way as Paul and in the same way as this church in Ephesus. We need to think, how does this affect us? This event that happened a couple of thousand years ago... What impact does it have on us now, on the Holy Spirit coming down, on those disciples in a way that he had never come down before? How does this affect us? So we're going to read. We're going to read from Ephesians 4, and we're going to read through verses 7 to 16, and we'll read them all now, and then we'll work our way through. And so, so let's do it. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions on earth. He he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Then he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. from whom the whole body joins and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So he is writing, Paul, the author of this letter, uh, to churches we think that were around Ephesus. So we think this letter was passed probably to a number of different churches. And really, Paul wants them to think how they live as disciples, as followers of Jesus. That's what he wanted for all of the people in the churches uh, that he had influence on. He wanted them to think, how do we live this out in our normal day-to-day lives? How does the Holy Spirit work in us and through us? How does the Holy Spirit help us grow as a united, growing community? And I found it fascinating when you read these letters to, to think actually, We don't know the people that received this. We know very little about the church in Ephesus. We know a little bit more if we were to read 1 and 2 Timothy. That's uh, probably to the church in Ephesus as well. But in this particular letter, we don't know the readers of it. Uh, And I like to think, actually, as this letter was taken, there would have been a morning, maybe a Saturday morning when they would have gathered together. And this letter would have been read out for the first time. You imagine being the first ever reading of this letter. There would have been young people there. There'd have been old people, there'd have been rich, there'd have been poor, there'd have been men and women, there'd have been all sorts of different ethnicities and classes and they would have been just like us, actually. There are no superheroes in that room, no famous apostles, no glamorous missionaries, if such a thing exists. Just normal people, normal lives, normal jobs, dealing with their successes, their failures, dealing with the hopes they have, but also the fears And insecurities that they have. And this is read out to them and they process that together in that moment. And really, Paul, I think, is thinking about this big Acts 2 event that happened years ago. Mostly the people reading this letter or it being read out to them in that moment were not there, but it is very important to them. If the Holy Spirit had been sent by Jesus to help us, which is exactly what Jesus said he would do and what would happen then what does this mean in day-to-day life? What does this mean for our church? What does it mean in your homes, perhaps in your workplace? Well, it means a few things. Firstly, it means the spirit at work means there are gifts for us. So verse 70 says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Paul has just finished a little bit of teaching. If we were to read all of Ephesians and get to this moment, he's been teaching a bit on unity and how the church is called to be unified and peaceful because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul sees that as an important outworking. If the spirit is at work in a church, then actually it causes unity and peace to be there. Uh, He says we should be unified around what? Should we be unified around a great big vision? or perhaps our work to the poor, or perhaps evangelism, should we be unified around those things? He says, well, actually, you'll be unified around one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are unified around God the Father, the one true living God. When we read about unity, actually, maybe it's easy to think that means that we're all the same because if we're all the same, we won't annoy each other. That's probably the best way of thinking about unity. But actually, that's not what Jesus intended or what Paul meant in this as well. And actually, I think as we read this verse in verse seven, it talks about how Jesus gives gifts to each of us. And he gives gifts at different levels to whoever he wants. It is a gift given to us by Jesus' grace and we get the measure of it in whatever way he intends to give it. So as an example of this, I would describe myself as a little bit prophetic. I think I'm, I'm a bit prophetic. If I, can, if I pray for someone, I'll ask God, is there anything you want to say? And I feel like he'll give me um, something. Usually it was just a thought or an idea in my mind. And if I bring that, usually it's you know, reasonably accurate and people find it helpful. I would say that I have a little bit of a prophetic gift. Vicky's brother uh, he has a very strong level of prophetic gifting. So if he does the same thing, and I've been with him when he's done it, and he's, uh, he's done school of ministry here in Manchester, um, he's really very accurate on the things that God tells him, the dreams that he sometimes has at night, the, the impressions that he gets and the things that he feels God is saying to him. Uh, and he's really very, very accurate. So Jesus has given him that gift, which is significantly better than my level of prophetic gifting, if that makes sense. Phil has been given grace for that. I haven't. Phil is rubbish at any number of other things. Phil, if you happen to listen to this uh, recording on the podcast, and I know you do listen to me, Phil, um, then that's the one thing you're better at. (laughs) And in this, as Paul is describing it, Describing, actually, we get gifts. We get these gifts at at different levels as Jesus chooses to give them. It's a reminder that Jesus is the most important person in a church. So in Christchurch, Manchester, who is the most important person here? Well, it is Jesus. And Paul describes it in verse 9 and 10. He talks about how Jesus came down to earth and then he ascended back to his position. And what is the position he goes to? He goes far above all the heavens. And from that place, high above all creation, in charge of everything, sustaining everything, looking down on us, he is interested. Actually, he's interested in all of us as a church and as individuals, as normal people that do their best to go about life, working our jobs, trying to bring up our kids the best way we can, whatever it is we do in life. Jesus actually is interested in us. He's interested in CCM. And he's keen in that. That we know the gifts given to us, actually. It's an important implication of the Acts 2 moment. To know that actually we are given gifts and we shouldn't be complacent about that. We should have a think about what they might be or what we would like them to be. He's also keen that we use these gifts given to us. That actually we step out in faith and and use these gifts and attempt to grow in them. And he's keen that we, we seek out these gifts. Paul, in, in another letter, talks about how we would to eagerly desire. It's important that we seek out these gifts. And he's keen that we see the work of the Holy Spirit after that big Acts 2 moment when he comes down in our lives, in the lives of people around us, in our church and in our city. And so Paul gives us a, a short list of gifts. Okay? He, he talks about the apostles, prophets, evangelists and the shepherds, shepherds and teachers. And he also gives a couple of other longer lists, which uh, hopefully will appear up behind me here in very big writing. So you can see them all soon. Um, so he talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. But he also talks in, in a few other places about different gifts. And uh, he, I thought they were just helpful to remind ourselves of this morning. Uh, and we'll get on to why in a moment. But, so in Corinthians, he talks about people who uh, speak with an utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. Uh, And incidentally, if you want to see that gift that works, just have a chat with Adrian Phillips at the end. He has the spiritual gift of wisdom. Okay, Trust me, he has. Any number of times he said, Adrian, what do you think about this? And he said something. I've been like, brilliant, very helpful. Uh, And you might just think, well, that's the way he's been made. That just is who he is. That's the sort of person he is. Uh, And I think there is truth in that. But I think also God moves in how we're made Okay, in our our upbringing. Uh, But also he gives us gifts. And I think that'd be true. Anyway. Uh, To another, faith. Then there's gifts of healing, working of miracles, uh, prophecy, ability to distinguish between spirits, uh, speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. So there's a a list that Paul gives to another church in Corinth there. Then when he's writing to the church in Rome, he gives another gift, a list of gifts. And there's some crossover here. So he talks about uh, prophecy. Again, that one comes often. Uh, He also talks about service. Uh, the one who teaches the one who exhorts the one who contributes, the one who leads, uh, and the one with acts of mercy, all of these different gifts uh, that Paul uh, highlights and wants to remind us of all of these are an implication of that acts two moments. all of those when the Holy Spirit came down was about empowering the whole body of Jesus, the whole church uh, and if we read the Old Testament, we see. The prophets and the people who are very gifted are, are relatively unusual. They are special people in a strange way. Whereas what we see here in this era that we're in from that Acts 2 moment is actually it is for all of us to walk in these gifts. So we remember the ascended Jesus who gives us these gifts, the one high above all the heavens where he exists. Is in charge of us as a church. He is our leader. He's also the creator of all things. Yet he knows who you are and he wants to give you gifts. And so, why? Well, actually, the Ephesians' uh, list of gifts apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers they are to grow the church, to equip the saints. It's what? Uh, Paul says. And actually in in the, the list in Corinthians, it talks about how these gifts are for the common goods. If you read in Romans, you can see each gift is given with a bit of instruction on how you should use that gift. And they're all outwards serving. They are to look after other people. They are acts of service, a way to build the church. And us Westerners, sometimes when we get caught up in this idea of gifting or calling, we turn it into something that is kind of more personally for us. So my sense of personal call. So a gift can be uh, something that we must express to achieve fulfillment in who we are. And actually, the New Testament understanding is a little bit different. Actually, we use our gifts for the common good. It's not necessarily about fulfilling who you feel you are meant to be, although that's not a bad thing. It's saying, actually, firstly, it's for the common good. Firstly, it's to help the church. Or as Paul says, it's For the equipping of the saints, that's all of us, for the ministry, for building the church. So the gifts that Jesus gives to us, gives to you, gives to us as a church in all the sites of CCM, to whatever level he chooses, actually is a gift to all of us to equip the church. So a few weeks ago in our school of ministry, again, we had a guy called Mike Pilavachi uh, come to preach And um, Mike has a very significant uh, gift, I would say, of exhortation, actually. We saw the gift to exhort on one of the previous passages. Uh, And really, that it's hard to describe, but you can listen to some people who are preachers and teachers who kind of take you into the passage and help you understand it quite deeply. Mike doesn't do that. He makes you, at the end of his talk, make you think you could run through a wall. It's that kind of uh, inspiring, yes, I'm going to try all of this stuff. He uh, exhorted us but also has a significant prophetic gift as well. And it was fascinating to watch him. I was there, I was just doing the PA, but watching him pray for people, prophesy for people, encourage people. And as he was doing that, he was slowly building the church. It wasn't his church, he was building the church in Manchester. He was building CCM a little bit and the other churches were there just with his encouragement, the way he conducted himself. So as you listen to this, you may think, well, I might have one of these gifts. You might think, yes, I know what it is. You might think, I have no idea. I've never thought about this before. And we would encourage you in that, actually, just to give this some thought. And we'll pray for people in a bit. But actually, just think, what gifts do I feel like Jesus has given me? We'll talk about that more a bit later. So let's move on. These gifts have a result as well. They have impact on us. So the spirit at work means gifts for us, but also mean these gifts come with purpose. So verses 13 and 14 says, We all maintain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So in this, as Paul highlights these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are four gifts that are to equip us. They are to equip us. They are to help us grow. They help us to grow in a unity of faith, Paul says. In this, it's a sense of pulling in the same direction. And remember what Paul thinks about unity. It's unity around vision or working for the poor or evangelism. No, it's around one God's one father of all who is over all. That is where actual unity comes from. He's saying, we all worship the same gods. He is our father. We are his children. He is over all. That is what Paul wanted people to understand. And apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers should help that to happen. But he also talks about how we grow in the knowledge of the son of God and talks about growing into maturity as well. These equipping gifts should help us all to do that. So years ago, I was, uh, I was about 19 or 20, so about 10 years ago. Uh, and I, why are you laughing at that? <laughs> uh, I was part of a church, and um, one of the leaders there had sought me out, and he was a, he's a good man, very kind, very patient. He would be what I would describe as a, a shepherd's. Uh, and teacher. He didn't really uh, have a big public gift particularly um, but he was one of the leaders of the church and was very good to me Uh, and he just said let's meet up a bit regularly and let's just talk Tim." So we used to meet and uh, honestly I cannot remember almost anything we talked about because it was a while ago but I can remember two things that he made me do uh, because I still do them because he told me that I should. They were very formative for me, very challenging for me. And the first one, and you're going to think this is obvious, but to 19-year-old Tim, it wasn't obvious, uh, was to read my Bible and pray every day. That's what he told me to do. He said, Tim, get yourself a notebook. Uh, Write the prayers that you want to write in your notebook. There'll be mornings where you'll be too tired and you won't be able to pray. So just write out your prayers uh, and then write anything God is saying to you or just a list of things you want to pray for. If a particular Bible verse jumps out, why not write that in, just date it uh, and then that will help you as you pray uh, and as you seek God. And I've been doing that ever since. So I've got dozens and dozens of these books. Um, And actually when we moved house, uh, we found some of the ones from when I was 19 or 20, and nobody should ever see those things. That is absolutely for sure. Uh, and I hope it's an illustration of how I have now grown to maturity. I read these, I was like, oh, I do not like 19-year-old me. But I've been doing that ever since, and actually it's a, a real game changer for me. Really, it was very, very formative in just making me think, I want to pray. I want to be with God's. I want to read his word. I want to do it as often as I possibly can. And God has spoke many things to me in those moments. And the second thing that he got me to do, he said, Tim, I want you to pray out in church. Like, this was a church of about 200 at the time. We always used to meet together in a big room and he'd say, Tim, I want you to pray out. I'd be like, You've got to be kidding me, right? It took me weeks to work up to this. And then eventually I did. I shouted a prayer from my seat. Can't remember what I prayed. And, uh, and it was a good thing to do. And he got me to do that because he wanted me to understand the importance of serving and contributing to church. Now, as I was a 19-year-old egotistical, Tim, I made it quite about me and the articulate nature of my prayer and how profound it was and all of that sort of thing. And he said, actually, no, it's not about you, Tim. It's about you bringing something which is helpful to other people. And even if you just speak up, it will make other people think, oh, we can do that as well. It's an important thing. So my friend, who I would describe as shepherd, teacher, equipped me as a saint in the kingdom. Very basic things. Helped me to grow in my knowledge of Jesus because he got me to read my Bible and pray every day. And he helped me to understand the importance of serving the church. Very simple things that have stood with me for many years. The spirit at work in you. And the spirit at work means gifts with purpose. Those gifts have great purpose for us. And finally, the spirit at work means gifts for growth, growth of the whole church. And we will finish with this. He says, speak the truth in love that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. So when we operate in our gifts, when we know that Jesus, who is ascended above all things, who is the most important person in our church, who knows who we are, just knows us all by name, knows the name of our church, knows what we're up to, knows what we're thinking, knows our hopes and dreams. When he chooses to give us gifts at whatever level he chooses to give us to them, and when we decide, actually, I'm going I'm to do my best to work on these, I'm going to try and walk in these gifts and use them to encourage others, use them to build and equip the church, in that moment, we begin to grow. How do we grow? Well, we grow in our love for Jesus. It's so important that actually... around CCM, we talk about growth a lot. We want to plant more sites and we want to see people get saved and all of that stuff. And we want to see more people join us. And that is important. And I think that's what Paul meant as well. But actually, as we grow into Jesus, as we grow into him, who is the head, remember, above all things into Christ, that has deep impact, has deep impact on our home, in our families, deep impact in our workplace. Imagine if you are spending your morning with God maybe just half hour before you get to go for work if you've got time or maybe you do it in your lunch break or maybe it's on the drive home or in whatever point in life you do that and God begins to challenge you perhaps on your patience and on your kindness and how you talk to people and that changes how you are in the office or on the zoom call or whatever it might be actually that has deep impact in your workplace Perhaps as you start to think, okay, I'm going to try and move in the gift of service, as Paul has described, or perhaps even of the gift of prophetic. And maybe one day God says to you, that person in your office is having a very hard time about this. You should be kind to them. And you do. It's deep impact, isn't it? As we grow in our love for him, actually, we become more like him. Paul is describing to the church, okay, this is how the Acts 2 stuff works. As the Holy Spirit comes down, you become more like Jesus as you walk in this. And then we grow in number as well. It says, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. I think Paul is talking about more people will join you. More people will give their lives to Jesus. And it's easy, especially when you lead in church, to get caught up in, in strategy and in techniques for church growth. And uh, I've recently taken on leading all of CCM from Colin And so lots of people are asking me, what's it like? What are you going to do to change things? And I make jokes about changing the name of the church or uh, moving all of the church services and not telling Colin, things like that, just for my own amusement, really. But the reality is that churches grow because people who are gifted by Jesus, remember, above all things, but knows who you are, churches grow because Jesus gives us gifts and we decide to move in those gifts. We decide to work with the Holy Spirit. So I wanted to bring that to you this morning, the Heatons. I think numbers of you here actually are gifted, but you don't know it, or you've decided to ignore it, or perhaps just in the stage of life, you can't think about it. There's too much else going on. I just can't do another thing as well. And I think actually in this, Paul comes at us with some grace and some mercy. And actually, Jesus knows exactly where your life is at the moment, where your relationship with him is where your work is, the levels of stress you may be experiencing or not experiencing. You may be in a good season or in a bad season. I just feel in this, actually, the Holy Spirit would say, I I want you to step out in your gifts and see what happens.